right, well, good morning. Uh, for those of you I haven't had a chance to connect with, my name is Matthew, and I serve as the teaching pastor here at the Westerville campus, and uh, glad to be back with you guys this week. Was away last week, and so appreciate Andrew filling in. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things from, from his message last week. Hey, if uh, today... Your first time visiting, your first time checking uh, LifePoint out, we're so grateful that you're here. And we would love the opportunity just to connect with you, uh, to get to know you a bit, to hear your story. And the easiest way for you to do that is to take your smartphone, and on the seat back in front of you, there's a QR code that you can scan. And uh, if you'll complete the guest info portion there, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, give us your name, uh, we will donate $5 to one of our local ministry partners in your honor just as our way of saying thank you for, for being with us today. Hey, I do want to give a, a special shout out to some guests that we have today. So this weekend, uh, Brooke and I have seven of our former students uh, from our former student ministry visiting uh, with us. They're seated here uh, in the first couple of rows. They're uh, kids that, no, they're not kids anymore, they're adults now, but we've known them since they were some of them 13 years old, some of them 17, 18 years old, but have uh, all graduated from student ministry. Most of them were serving as volunteers in our student ministry, but grateful to have them here with us. The uh, four guys who are here are actually all pursuing full-time pastoral ministry, uh, which I'm grateful for that uh, God is raising up a, a next generation of leaders to, to lead churches all across our, our nation. And the reality is there's a massive shortage in ministry right now. Churches are struggling to to find pastors and people who are, who are called to ministry. So I'm grateful for, for the work God has done in their life. And if you want any dirt or good stories on me, they'd be the, uh, the people to, to ask. So uh, back in seventh grade, uh, during Christmas break, uh, me and my best friend at the time, we, uh, we went to the movies together. And, and the reason I remember this so vividly, you're like, why, why do you remember <laughs> going to the movies in seventh grade? Is because this was the first time we had been allowed to go to the movies without any adult supervision. And uh, for us, that was a big deal. It's like, man, we have finally arrived. We have, we have made it. And I remember my mom dropping us off at the movies. We get out of the car, we wave goodbye, and we're like, man, this is living. And we're, you know, walking up with a strut, feeling real good. I've got my hat on backwards, looking like a punk teenager. And, but man, we're just excited to, to be at the movies by ourselves, no adult supervision. And uh, this was before, like, smartphones where you're buying your tickets ahead of time on your phone. And, uh, you know, IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes were, were a thing, but you weren't really looking up, like, the movie reviews ahead of time, or at least I wasn't. So we show up, and we're trying to figure out what we want to watch, what movie we want to see. And mind you, it was, it was three days before Christmas, so we're feeling the holiday spirit. We want to see a movie that's going to be fun and exciting and happy. And we're looking at all the different movie posters trying to decide what, what we're going to see. Nothing's really standing out. And then we see a, a, a poster for a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness starring Will Smith. And if you're laughing, you know where this, this story is going. And we're like, well, that sounds like a fun movie. It has the word happy in it. And it's Will Smith. I mean, it's got to be a good time. We're thinking Fresh Prince, Hitch, Bad Boys. Like, this is going to be a great movie. So we buy our tickets. We head inside. We get our popcorn. I get my Twizzlers. We sit down, getting ready for, for this movie. And the movie starts. And if you've never seen The Pursuit of Happiness, it is two hours of misery. 
It is seriously the most depressing story ever. Will Smith's character and his son, who I'm pretty sure is actually his biological son who plays his son in the movie, uh, they end up uh, being homeless. It's based on true story. And he just faces setback after setback. Like this dude cannot catch a break. It is like heartbreaking to, to watch this story. And about halfway through, I turn to my buddy and we look at each other and I'm like, what have we done like, this is completely killing the Christmas spirit right now. But then in the, the final moments of the movie, after you've been on this emotional roller coaster, you've been completely wrecked by this movie, Will Smith's character finally catches a break. He lands this, this full-time job. He's crying tears of joy, and he goes, and he picks up his son from the daycare, and they embrace each other, and they walk off into, into the sunset. It's this, this happily ever after ending. So two hours of misery for five minutes of joy at the end. I highly recommend the, the movie to, to you and your families, especially during the, uh, the, the holiday season. Uh, but in a, in a sense, I almost feel like that is how our, our teaching series through, through Revelation has felt at times. Like it has been nine weeks of heavy, hasn't it? At times, even kind of like borderline depressing. It's been a lot of judgment, a lot of wrath, a lot of persecution. We've talked about dragons and beasts and prostitutes. It's definitely not been your feel-good family story. And with this being my first teaching series here at LifePoint, and with you not knowing me very well, I'm sure some of you have been thinking, what is this guy's deal? Like, this dude is just always in a bad mood, always talking about judgment and wrath. Like, did his parents never tell him that they loved him? Like, he's got some stuff to work through. But listen, I, I promise you, I'm fine. Great childhood. But here's the good news. We are in the final week of our series, and here's why that's good news, because we're getting to the really good stuff. After all the judgment, all the persecution, all the wrath, all the heaviness, it leads us to the final scene of the movie. And we're going to get a glimpse of the future. We're going to see how the story ends for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, for those of us whose names are written in the book of life. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd go ahead and encourage you to open up to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. You can also scan the QR code and there's a section uh, called notes where you can follow along with today's message. But we're going to be walking through chapter 21, looking at <clears throat> a little bit of chapter 22. And here's the question that we're going to be answering today. What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? What, what can we expect? What do we have to look forward to as followers of Jesus? You know, whenever people talk about heaven, I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding it and a lot of questions surrounding it, like where, where, where is heaven? Is it, you know, in another dimension? Is it somewhere in deep outer space? Like if you got in a rocket ship with enough fuel and enough resources, you'd eventually end up in, in heaven. Is it even a, a physical location? Does it, does it have a zip code? But when you read the, the, the Bible, the Bible doesn't really tell us about where heaven is currently located. Because in, in, in scripture, heaven is less about a location and more about the presence of God. Heaven, we're told, is God's dwelling place. It's where he's ruling and reigning from his throne. And we've seen pictures and glimpses of that throughout Revelation. 
So then what many of us wonder, where, where it gets practical and real for us is, okay, so then when people die who trust in Jesus and we say they, they've gone to heaven, where, where did they go? Where are they? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, Paul says this. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, in our physical body, well, then we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul says that to be absent from our physical body, to be away from our body, is to be present with the Lord. So for those who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, and have already died, their spirit is currently at home with the Lord. Their physical body is probably somewhere in the ground. Maybe it's on grandma's mantelpiece and, and ashes. Uh, but their spirit is with the Lord. And where that is, we don't know. We just know that they are in God's presence and that they will be with him forever. But here, here's the catch. And this may be new for some of you. This may even be new for, for many of you. Even if you've grown up in church. Although they will be with God forever, they will not be in the same place forever. Where they currently are in the presence of God is not their eternal home. The present heaven, where God is currently ruling and reigning from his throne, is just a temporary space. The fancy theological term is the intermediate state. It's where believers go when they die but before the return of Jesus and the resurrection. So if you have trusted in Jesus and you die before Jesus returns, you go to this current heaven that's called the intermediate state. It's this temporary space. It's not where you will be forever. But one day, there will be a new heaven where you will be for eternity. That will be our eternal home. And that's what we're going to read about today. That's what we're going to get a glimpse of, this new heaven that will be our eternal home if we have trusted in Jesus for our salvation. So Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, John says this. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And just a quick side note, maybe you've been wondering the last nine weeks, why is this series called New? What does this have to do with Revelation? Well, there, there you go. Now you know. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, there's this, this tendency in, in Christianity, especially if you grew up with what I would call a, a left-behind view of Revelation, where those books and those movies were kind of your, your primary you know, resources on understanding Revelation, to, to think that God has just completely given up on this world that everything is falling apart, that the world is getting progressively worse, that it's a hopeless situation, and one day God is gonna return, he's gonna take us up to heaven, and then he's just gonna blow the whole thing up. It's gonna be like the end of New Hope where Luke Skywalker just blows up the Death Star. Like, it's just gonna be gone. God's gonna take us up, and he's gonna put an end to it because it's just completely out of control. But that's not what we see in the Bible, that's not the, the picture that we're given here in the final chapters of Revelation. God is not returning one day to destroy the world. He's returning to recreate it. 
He's coming back to restore his creation to its original state, which back in Genesis, he said was good. It was very good. He's not coming back one day to to take us up to heaven, to take us to another dimension or another galaxy. No, no, no. He's coming to bring heaven to earth, which is exactly what Jesus told us to pray for, that the heaven would come to earth. I love this quote from from Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven. I can't, can't recommend that enough. He says this, instead of us going up to God's place to live forever, God will come down to live with us in our place, literally bringing heaven to earth. God's children are destined for life as resurrected beings on a resurrected earth. Listen, Revelation is not about the end of creation. It's not about the end of the world. It's about the beginning of a brand new creation. And you see the the thread of creation running throughout the entire Bible. You find creation in the the opening words of scripture. In the beginning, God created. And now here in the the final chapters of the Bible, we see this new heaven, this new earth, this creation taking place. The Bible, it starts with a beginning and it ends with a beginning. A new heaven, a new earth. So for those of us who are destined for this new heaven, this new earth, who have trust in Jesus, man, what what can we expect? What is this heaven going to be like? Well, listen to what verse three says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, pay attention. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Notice, as as John is describing this new heaven, the primary feature that he's drawn to of this new heaven, it's not, not mansions, it's not streets of gold, it's not this paradise, it's not family and friends that have passed that will be reunited with one day, no, no, no. The primary feature of this new heaven is that God will be with us. You see, God the Father, we're told, is is currently seated in his throne in the heavenly places. And Jesus the Son is seated at the right hand of the Father. And for those of us who are believers, the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence inside of us. He lives inside of us. But we are not currently in the presence of God. We are not currently in the presence of Jesus the Son. But one day, that is all going to change. God's dwelling place will no longer be out in the heavenly places in some distant and far off place. No, his dwelling place will be here with us on a resurrected and recreated earth. He won't be out there. He won't be somewhere else. He will be with us. In fact, later on in chapter 21, John writes this. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, we, we read that verse, and we probably don't think too much about it. But for the, the, the original audience, for the, for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, this would have been a mind-blowing concept, because for them, the temple was where the presence of God would dwell. And once a year, the, the high priest, he would enter into the Holy of Holies, 
And he would offer a a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel. And this is the closest they would ever get to the presence of God. But John is is saying in the, the new heaven and the new earth, there won't be a need for a temple. Because God and the Lamb, Jesus, they are now the temple. And the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. The whole earth is going to be filled with the presence of God. And you and I, we will live in the Holy of Holies. Like The Holy of Holies won't be this confined place that only one person can enter into. The whole earth will be filled with the glory and the presence of God. Listen, the, the, the reward, the prize of heaven is the eternal presence of Jesus. God's no longer gonna be far off and distant from us anymore. We're no longer gonna marvel at the the glory and the wonder of God from from an earthly perspective. No, we're gonna be invited right into the middle of the presence of God. We will live in it. And we will experience the the fullness of God's glory and his power and his love and says he will be our God and we will be his people. We will live in the presence of God forever. But here's what I often hear when we talk about heaven. We talk about being with God forever. Well, that kind of sounds boring. Well, I'm just gonna be with Jesus forever. Like, you know, for the first week, that would be kind of cool, but like, that's what I'm going to be doing for eternity. Listen, to, to think heaven will be boring is to believe that God is boring. Listen, God, God created you. God designed you uniquely, and he knows you better than anybody else does. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows how to meet your greatest needs and greatest desires in a way that no one else or no other thing else can. You will be more alive in heaven than you have ever been at a single moment in your life here on earth. You will experience more joy and peace and excitement and fulfillment than you ever have. And your greatest needs, your greatest desires and longings will be fully met and fully satisfied in God's presence. You will live in the presence of God forever. And it goes on, it only gets better. Verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And what, what a picture we're given. All of the, the tears that we cry, that we experience on this side of heaven, the the tears of grief when we lose somebody that that we love, the tears of of hurt when a a friend betrays us and a a relationship is is, is lost, the the tears of disappointment when you're, you're praying that God would bless you with a family, bless you with children, and that prayer seems to be going unanswered. 
the prayers of frustration when life isn't panning out the way that you had hoped or had imagined. God will wipe every single one of those tears from our eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because he says the old order of things is it's passed away. The old order that has been marked and defined by sin and brokenness that has created so much hurt and confusion and dysfunction in this world and in our lives, it will be done. It will pass away forever. He's making all things new. You know, I really believe that, that the new heaven and the new earth, it will be very similar to the world we live in. Like, we'll recognize it. We're not gonna be just angels or spirits floating in, a, in, in the clouds. It's not gonna be this weird out-of-body experience. No, we will be physical beings in a physical world. We will have resurrected bodies just like Jesus. And I believe we'll have jobs and responsibilities. We'll be doing things, but it will be in a world without sin, without corruption, no sadness, no sickness, no disease, no pain, no death, because everything will be made new. Nothing will be left the same. It will all be recreated, and it will finally be, as God had originally designed and intended, a physical world with physical beings experiencing the presence of God forever. And God tells us these words, they're, they're trustworthy and they're true, meaning we can hold on to them. This is our hope. This is our promise. This is what we cling to in those moments of life that are defined by hurt and by brokenness. And then in verse six, he says this. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life says, it is done. It is finished. And these are words that, that we've seen throughout scripture. On the cross, before Jesus breathed his last word, he cried out, it is finished. Meaning that everything that was needed in order to reconcile a sinful people to a holy God, it was complete. In Revelation 16, just a couple weeks ago, we saw God declare, it is done. After he poured out his judgment and his wrath on the world, because in that moment, his justice was complete. And here at the end of Revelation, he is declaring, it is done. Creation has been restored. All has been made new. And he says that to the thirsty, he will give them living water without cost meaning that for those of us who are in this new heaven, who are in the presence of God, we will find true and lasting satisfaction. All of our desires, all of our longings, all of our, our needs that, that we have tried to fill throughout life, that desire to be loved by somebody unconditionally, that desire to be accepted, that desire for peace, that desire for purpose, these things that we've tried to, to earn and achieve, these things that we've tried to, to, to purchase for ourselves, these things that we spent our life chasing after, they will be satisfied at no cost to us. And we will finally be able to rest 
from the striving of this life, where it's chasing all of these things that leave us empty, that never satisfy, we will experience the presence of God and we will drink this living water that will satisfy our thirst forever. And then in chapter 22, my favorite part, verse four and five, as you, as you see, as it's just building, it just gets better and better. It says this, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp for the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. You know, in Exodus, we, we read about how Moses asked God to show him his glory. He wanted to experience the fullness of God's presence and glory. He wanted to see God's face. And God told him, look, buddy, you don't know what you're asking for. That would not be a good idea. God told him he could only pass by him for a moment. And he would only show him his back because if he looked at his face, he would not survive. But here we're told that, that you and I, who trust in Jesus, we will see God's face how, how is that, that possible? You see, in our, our sinful, broken bodies that we currently live in, we can't look at God and live. His glory, is, it, it's too much for us to handle. It's too much for us to survive. But here's what's so good. One day, what is true about us spiritually will become true about us physically. Our internal righteousness from Jesus will become a physical reality. And we will receive our resurrected and glorified bodies. We will be made whole. We will be made complete. And when we do, we will finally be able to see the face of God, the face of our heavenly father. I mean, just, just think about that. You are going to stand face to face with God. He will look at you. You will look at him. You will look at the face of the, the all-powerful God of the universe, the one who has existed eternally, the one that holds it all together, the one who knows your every thought, every word you've ever spoken, every action, every desire in your heart. You will see his face and you will experience the fullness of his glory and his presence. But in that moment, when we stand before him, and there, there will be no fear or dread for us in that moment. There's going to be no need for, for apologies or explanations. God's not expecting you to, to rehash things. There's not going to be judgment and condemnation of, hey, do you remember when? I think you should have done that a little different. Man, I'm kind of surprised to see you here. No, when you stand before God face to face in that moment, you will be fully seen and fully known, but you will be fully loved and fully accepted, and you will hear from your heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will rule and you will reign alongside King Jesus forever. And that's the, the picture that we're being given. That is our hope. That is the promise for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. 
But I know that the, the reality for some of you currently in this room is that maybe your life up until this point has felt a lot like the pursuit of happiness. It's been hardship after hardship, setback after setback. Maybe you've, you've dealt with relational strife in your life. Maybe you've faced health challenges and complications you never imagined you would have to deal with. Maybe you've had family brokenness and dysfunction in your marriage or with your parents or with your children. Maybe you've dealt with the stresses of financial hardship and your life up until this point has been defined by hurt and by brokenness. And you're wondering how your story is going to end. Man, is there, is there hope? Will things turn out all right? Will things be okay? And listen, man, there is no promise in Scripture that things will be made right on this side of eternity. In fact, Scripture is incredibly clear about the hardships and the trials that we will face in this life. But for those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, our hope is not in this world as it currently is. Our hope is in the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, and the promise of a brand new creation, which is why Paul was able to write these words in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's saying that the suffering, the pain, the trials that we experience in this life, they can't even compare, they can't even touch the glory that's ahead of us, for us. The grief, the hurt, the brokenness that we've walked through in this life, they won't even be a distant memory. They will be wiped away. They will be no more because God is making all things new. And unlike the five minutes of joy at the end of a movie where they tack on a happy ending to, to make you feel better as you're leaving, our joy will be eternal. Our joy will be unending because we will be with Jesus forever. Physical beings in a physical world enjoying and experiencing the presence of God forever. But here's what we have to understand. And here's where it becomes very real for, for each and every one of us. In Revelation 21, 27, it says this, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nothing impure will ever enter into the new heaven, nor will anyone who does, not, who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, there's a, a guest list for heaven. There's a guest list for heaven. And if your name isn't on the, the guest list, if it's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're not getting in. It's not a wedding you'll be able to crash. There's not a bouncer you'll be able to, you know, kind of sneak past to, to get in. And if you're not on the list, you're not getting in. But, but getting, here's, here's the good news. Getting on that list has nothing to do with anything that you can bring to the table. It's not about your successes in this life, what you've done career-wise, how much you've accumulated, your reputation. It's not about your, your goodness, 
how kind you've been, how much you've given. It's not about your, your, your religious activity, how often you've attended church, how involved you are, how much you serve. It's not about trying harder and doing better. It's not trying to, to earn your way to this exclusive list. It all hinges on, on one thing. What you have done with the lamb. What you've done with Jesus. Have you looked to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And have you called out to him for your salvation? That's what it all depends upon. Have you looked to him to save you and to rescue you? You don't bring anything to the table. You bring hurt, you bring brokenness, but Jesus brings it all to the table on your behalf. And by trusting in him for your salvation, you can inherit this free gift of eternal life. Your eternity can be this new heaven and this new earth where you will be with God forever, where you will be eternally satisfied. But for those whose names are not in the book of life, this world as it is, and that's your hope. That's as good as it gets. The brokenness, the dysfunction, the chaos. Revelation was, was given to us, not, not just to, to give us a calendar and dates and predictions. It was given to us to change how we live our lives today, to give us hope and to, 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 to command and demand a response from us where we see the lamb, where we see Jesus ruling and reigning in all of his power and we say, yes, that's who I'm giving my life to. That's who I'm tying my eternity to. And if you've never made that decision, if you've never come to a place in your life where you have turned to Jesus for your salvation, recognizing you can't save yourself, you can't be good enough, you can't be successful enough and asked him to forgive you of your sins, man, today we, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that so that this picture of heaven can become your eternal reality. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Man, this is something that, that we've done since, since I've been here, but right now today, man, if that is a decision that you need to make, if you need to call out to Jesus for your salvation, if you need to change where your eternity is headed, we wanna give you the opportunity to do that. And what I'm gonna do is I'm, I'm just gonna lead us through, through a prayer. These aren't some kind of special words. This isn't some kind of formula. But if your desire is to give your life to Jesus, to ask him to save you, I just wanna give you some words to, to help you articulate that to him. I just wanna encourage you in the, the quietness of your heart to call out to God, to, to pray this to him. You repeat it in your heart after me. God, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. I believe that you died for me on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. Jesus, I know I can't save myself. So today I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to forgive me. I want your free gift of eternal life. 
If that's a prayer you prayed today, if that's a decision you made, man, we, we just wanna celebrate with you today. We wanna celebrate what God is doing in your life, the activity, uh, the work of God in your life. And we have a, an area in the back of our room called, called Next Steps, and we have members from our team there We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you, to answer any questions you may have. And during this next song or after service, we just encourage you to stop by and, and, and just, just share with them what, what God is doing in your life today. So Father, we, we thank you for the promise of, of, of a new heaven, that this world as it is, is, is not our only hope. God, that there's something so much better for us. God, I, my, my prayer today is that for believers who are walking through times of, of, of heartache and trial and, and, and suffering, who are wondering how the story ends, God, that you would remind them of this truth, that they would cling to the hope that you are making all things new and that they will be with you forever. But God, my, my prayer is also for those whose names are not in the book of life, who right now are destined to spend eternity separated from you, the one who, who, who knows them and loves them and can fulfill them, God, that today you would work in their heart in such a way that they would turn to you for their salvation, that they would cry out to you. And we know that if we call out to you, God, that you are faithful to forgive us and to save us. So Jesus, we, we love you and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.